0: Coronavirus, COVID 19. What are the straight scientific facts? How is it different from the typical seasonal flu? How can we prevent the spread of the virus? Tune in for all the details only here on the People Scientist podcast. Hello my People Scientist Army and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. If this is your first time tuning into the People Scientist Podcast, then welcome and I hope you stick around and become a part of the People Scientist Army. For today's episode of episode 50, I'm going to be covering a highly requested topic, on covering the scientific evidence of the coronavirus disease, which has been coined COVID-19. I have been asked by a lot of listeners to do an episode covering the latest scientific evidence on this virus, as some people fear that perhaps the news channels are making more of the situation than what actually exists. And you, my listeners, want just the facts. So I will give you the straight facts today. Now, I am not a microbiologist, and I am not an infectious disease specialist, but I am a physiologist, and I have access to the latest medical and scientific publications covering the latest evidence on this virus. So today, I will be sharing some of the facts and findings on the virus, including how we can protect ourselves just in case the virus spreads to other countries. Now, the majority of my information is coming straight from the medical journals, such as the New England Journal of Medicine. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Many experts say that this coronavirus, coined COVID-19, appears to be a slightly more serious form of the typical seasonal flu. However, when you look at the numbers, the seasonal flu still affects far more people than COVID-19 has. Now, the latest numbers coming from the last 24 hours states that 85,403 cases of COVID-19 have been confirmed through diagnostic lab testing, of which 93% of the confirmed cases have been confined to China. 2,924 people total have passed away with COVID-19. So the presumed fatality rate is 3.4%. Now, the highest mortality rate is confined to the province of Hubei in China at 4.1%. This rate is lower by comparison in other countries, likely due to the fact that other countries had time for better preparation and had a lower health care burden than what Hubei experienced. However, we must take caution with interpreting mortality rate statistics, as the mortality rate is normalized to the number of confirmed cases. And it is hard to truly know the number of people who may have had coronavirus as those with only mild symptoms or no symptoms at all likely were not tested and were not counted as a confirmed case. Now the symptoms of COVID-19 are typical and similar to a seasonal flu, including cough, fever, chills, feeling tired, and may potentially lead to shortness of breath and reduced lung functioning. Individuals most at risk For experiencing complications with COVID-19 include those with a history of heavy cigarette smoking, those with diabetes, heart disease, and those aged 70 years and older. Currently there is no evidence that a pregnant woman can spread the virus to her unborn baby. There's also no presence of the virus in breast milk based on a study of nine pregnant women testing positive for COVID-19. There are things that we can do to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. The use of masks is most important for the person with symptoms. Washing our hands, avoiding touching our faces, and staying home if we feel unwell are important and simple things that can make a huge and drastic difference in regard to the spread of the virus. When coughing and sneezing, make sure to cover your mouth with a tissue, your shirt, or cough or sneeze into your arm like Dracula, would move his arm to cover his face. This is what we call the vampire sneeze. Lifestyle choices such as adequate sleep, hydration, and a healthy diet will all be important in regard to keeping our immune system at optimum functioning. Now let's jump into some very important details. I'd like to start off by talking about how in really difficult situations, such as this, where there's an outbreak of an illness, there can be small positives that come out of it. And I think a positive to come out of situations like this, how outbreaks of illness like this, are because these are testaments to how resilient we are as a species. Countries and scientists come together to work toward a common goal of preventing the spread and helping care for people. This has been accomplished numerous times throughout the last couple of decades. For example, in the scenario of SARS, avian flu, swine flu, Ebola, and now the new coronavirus, COVID-19. In times like this, we turn to scientists for answers. So groups of scientists around the world are working together to figure out ways on how to quickly diagnose people and to monitor the virus as it spreads to make sure it doesn't mutate. Scientists are working on how to develop vaccines in case they are needed. Physicians are providing report updates, providing suggestions on patient care, and sharing resources. And working together is how we, as a global community, become resilient. And I think in times like this, that is a wonderful thing. Now, let's get into some scientific evidence on COVID-19. The coronavirus has been coined COVID-19. Its symptoms are very similar, if not the same, as the typical seasonal flu, as the most common symptoms of COVID-19 are fever, tiredness, and dry cough. Some patients may have aches and pains, nasal congestion, runny nose, sore throat, or diarrhea. Some people become infected but don't develop any symptoms and feel perfectly fine. Most people, about 80%, recover from the disease without needing special treatment. They estimate that around 1 out of every 6 people who get COVID-19 become seriously ill and develop difficulty breathing. Older people, and those with a history of heavy cigarette smoking, or those who have high blood pressure, heart problems, or diabetes, or are above the age of 70, are more likely to develop serious illness and require medical attention. So some people have also asked how individuals may be dying from COVID-19. And when I read all the case reports coming out of the New England Journal of Medicine, it's similar to how the seasonal flu unfortunately impacts people, and that is that it impacts the functioning of the lungs. So the lungs will become impacted, and on a CT scan, for example, we may see ground glass opacities and reduced oxygen levels in the blood because the lungs are no longer being able to bring oxygen to the blood in the system. So individuals may need to to be put on ventilators to help the lungs function in order to help bring oxygen to the blood and to remove carbon dioxide. But unfortunately, sometimes the lungs will just fail. And as a result, other organs will start to shut down, such as the heart. And some case reports show that individuals may go into cardiac arrest where their heart will just stop. And that is the main cause uh, to death for individuals that are living with COVID-19, that where it progresses to a severe case. One of the biggest questions I received lately on COVID-19 is, why are people so worried about COVID-19? Why is it hitting the news? And why is it more important than the regular seasonal flu? Well, the reason why viruses like this hit the news is because viruses do not normally spread between species. So, for example, if you have a cold or flu, There's not a concern that your dog or cat will get your cold. Now, bacteria is different, on the other hand. I don't want you to confuse bacteria with viruses. Bacteria like E. coli, those can easily transmit across species. But viruses, viruses have a typical host range of what species they can infect. In past outbreaks of swine flu, avian flu, and now COVID-19, what happened is Someone became infected from a virus, with a virus from an animal, either by being in contact with an infected animal or by eating undercooked meat of an infected animal. In that person, with this virus from the animal, the virus changed a bit, creating what we call a viral variant, which has now allowed the virus to infect humans. And before it couldn't infect humans, but the virus changed, so now it can infect humans starting with that patient zero. This is called host switching. The fact that a virus has changed and now crossed from animals to humans raises caution for a few reasons. One reason is because this particular virus may have never infected humans before, so that makes it unpredictable. We don't know what to expect. Second, it means that this new viral variant has become smarter now that it has infected a human. So this also adds some more unpredictability. It raises the question of what if a new variant arises? If that is the case, the new variant can have a different discourse and again be harder to predict. However, the likelihood for a new viral variant to arise is incredibly, incredibly low. But preparation is the best way to ensure good health outcomes. So that is why we are having this response. So there are three main reasons why scientists respond with action to a new virus like this, and it's really because of the unpredictability of a virus that was never in humans before that is now in humans. And so we prepare for the worst-case scenario and hope that the worst-case scenario never happens. So I hope that that clarifies some things and answers that number one question that I've been receiving. The next question I received was about the severity of COVID-19, you know, how severe is it? compared to the regular seasonal flu? Well, the severity can be defined by, for example, the virus's ability to spread, its symptoms, and the mortality rate. It is somewhat hard to answer this question, because the coronavirus is relatively new. We don't have a lot of information about it. How we are detecting and reporting the typical flu and coronavirus differs as well. So to answer this question, I will compare some facts and you can make up your mind on which is more severe. According to the World Health Organization, the typical seasonal flu leads to about 3 to 5 million severe cases every year. Now keep in mind this is not total cases, but this is severe cases. So 3 to 5 million severe cases every year. And about 290,000 to 650,000 deaths around the world every year with lower-income countries being hit the hardest with the seasonal flu. Now, there are obviously far more mild cases of the flu that could be added to that number that go unrecorded, but that is the number of severe cases that require medical attention. By contrast, COVID-19 has led to currently, as of this morning, 85,403 total confirmed cases and 2,924 deaths. It is estimated that one in every six cases becomes severe and requires medical attention for COVID-19. So right now, the number of COVID-19 cases is about 2% that of severe flu cases every year. Or another way you can look at it is that the seasonal flu is on average about 58 times more prevalent than COVID-19 right now. So there are way more cases of the seasonal flu versus COVID-19 right now. Now, it is difficult and not very accurate to compare mortality rate percentages between the seasonal flu and COVID-19 because these mortality rates are normalized to the number of confirmed cases, which can depend on a lot of things, such as the number of people coming into the doctor's office to get tested. If they don't go to the doctor's office to get tested, then that'll never become a statistic. But if you want to look at the percentage of deaths per severe case, meaning for every person with shortness of breath and flu symptoms requiring medical attention or hospitalization, then the mortality rate may be similar between the flu and COVID-19 because the flu has about a 5 to 22% mortality rate for severe cases and COVID-19 has a 20% mortality rate for severe cases. Now, the symptoms for the typical flu and COVID-19 appear to be very similar as well, being a cough, chills, fever, feeling tired, and perhaps leading to shortness of breath and reduced lung capacity. So to answer the question, which is more severe, the seasonal flu or COVID-19, it is not so easy to say. But right now, based on facts, we can say probably the seasonal flu is more severe, just simply because it impacts far more people. But the hope is that COVID-19 remains low, does not spread at a high rate. The third question I received was about being pregnant and the risk of COVID-19. Is there any extra concern here for the baby or mom? I found a study published by Chen and colleagues in the medical journal The Lancet published this month. The scientists studied a small sample size of nine women that tested positive and presented with symptoms of COVID-19. All women underwent a C-section in their third trimester to deliver the baby. Now after testing the babies themselves, the amniotic fluid, the cord blood, and breast milk, there was no trace of the COVID-19 virus, which is a really good thing. So based on this small group of nine pregnant women, there is no evidence that the COVID-19 virus can be transmitted to the baby while the mother is pregnant and there is no evidence that COVID-19 can be transmitted through breast milk. However, the health of the mother while pregnant is important to monitor, and her health and oxygen levels are important for the baby's health as well. So a pregnant woman woman with symptoms of the flu should definitely go visit their doctor and seek medical attention. Once the baby is born, if the mother still has COVID-19 or the flu – then of course other parameters to prevent spread of infection are important, such as the mother potentially wearing a mask and washing her hands and preventing touching her face, blowing her nose, touching her mouth, etc., and washing her hands after doing so. I repeat, do not, do not put anything on the baby's face, such as a mask, as we do not want to impair the breathing of the baby. Another question I received was, if COVID-19 makes its way to a city we live in, how can we protect ourselves? Well, the World Health Organization and the Center of Disease Control have put out really great information in regard to this. It is important to realize that very simple practices really can make a huge difference in how severely a virus spreads across a city or country. As one person has the potential to infect hundreds of people. If that one person stayed home instead, those hundreds of people were less likely to be infected. So here are some suggestions to prevent the spread of the virus. The virus is spread by the droplets from someone's mouth or nose if they are infected with the virus. So they can spread the virus by talking, sneezing, coughing, or even exhaling. Because if those droplets come into contact with someone's mouth, nose, or eyes, then they can contract the virus. For this reason, it is suggested that the people that need to wear masks the most are those that are actually showing the symptoms, because these droplets can be passed onto someone nearby, or the droplets can even be expressed onto a surface nearby that someone may touch. And then if that person touches that surface and then touches their nose or their mouth, this is another route by which they can contract the virus. So for these reasons, the following are suggested. Maintain at least one meter, or three feet, distance between yourself and anyone who is coughing or sneezing. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Practice respiratory hygiene. This means covering your mouth and nose with your bent elbow when you cough or sneeze. This is called the vampire or Dracula sneeze. You can also sneeze into a tissue or inside your shirt and make sure to wash your hands or clothing with soap and water or sanitize your hands with an alcohol-based sanitizer. Stay home if you feel unwell. The time to seek medical attention is if you have a fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. If you can call your healthcare provider prior to showing up, that can help the hospital or clinic prepare for your arrival. And make sure to follow the directions of your local health authority. Now, here are a few extra important things that I wanted to share. Many scientists have noted that healthcare burden is a very important predictor for mortality rate. This was, for example, covered by Xi this month in the journal The Lancet Global Health. So what I mean by this is, consider the fact that in three months, over 66,000 people in the province of Hubei alone went to the hospital or doctor's office to seek care, and were confirmed to have COVID-19. Not to mention the number of people at the hospital that did not have COVID-19. That's 66,000 people. So considering that the ability for the Hubei province of China to handle the large number of cases in a short period of time very likely led to an inability to care for everyone properly, which likely contributed to a higher mortality rate. For example, if the hospitals didn't have enough ventilators, enough medications such as anti-inflammatories and corticosteroids, or enough negative pressure rooms to ensure proper quarantine or to prevent the spread of the virus. If they didn't have enough of these resources or space, this would have reduced care for people and could have led to increased spread and poorer patient outcomes. I mean, this is evidenced by the fact that the mortality rate in the province of Hubei is higher than anywhere else as of today. Because the mortality rate in Hubei is greater than 3% at 4.1%. However, in other parts of China, the mortality rate is less than 0.7%. In Korea, the the mortality rate is 0.5%. Japan's fatality rate for COVID-19 is 2.2%. In Italy, it's 2.4% as of today. In the United States, as of today, there are 62 confirmed cases with zero deaths, and Canada has 14 confirmed cases with zero deaths. That is why hospitals, physicians, and scientists are working hard to figure out how to handle an outbreak, even if it doesn't arrive, because better preparation equals better outcomes for patients. So making sure to have these essentials of quick diagnostic testing, enough ventilators to provide lung support for those that have compromised lung functioning, enough medications, beds, space, and masks can make a huge difference. And hospitals right now should be working on ensuring availability of these things. Because as I said, preparation is the best thing. And you, you prepare and you keep your fingers crossed that the virus will never make its way to you. Some other facts that people have been asking about are, for example, how long does it take for someone to start developing symptoms once they've come in contact with someone or contracted the virus? Well, there are varying reports. They say on average that the incubation period, or the time from when you contract it to when you start to show symptoms, can range anywhere from 1 to 14 days. But the average incubation period appears to be 5 days in most people. Some other important facts I wanted to share is that There is no evidence that companion animals or pets, such as cats and dogs, have been infected or could spread the virus that causes COVID-19. Some people might be worried of that, but there's no evidence that your pets will contract the virus. For those of you more interested in the scientific component of COVID-19, coronaviruses are RNA viruses, which is different from a DNA virus. Why this is important is because RNA viruses are more prone to mutations and changing more quickly over time versus DNA viruses. Now mutations, or variants, make it hard for us to predict the course of the virus and harder to make vaccines. Other RNA viruses include influenza, which causes the typical seasonal flu, polio, and hepatitis A, for example. A DNA virus, on the other hand, for example, is the herpes virus. Right now, different groups of scientists are working hard on monitoring the virus, meaning for those that have symptoms to test them and see if they have COVID-19 and to see if the RNA sequence is the same, basically making sure that it hasn't mutated, that a variant hasn't formed. And right now, different groups of scientists are working on a vaccine against COVID-19 to prevent the spread and severity of the virus as well. Lastly, I want to touch upon a related topic of stigma and prejudice, and I've seen this come up on the WHO and CDC website, and I thought it was important to mention. The risk of getting COVID-19 in the United States and Canada, where most of my listeners are from, is currently very low, due in part to quick action from health authorities and knowledge and education on how to prevent the spread. However, some people are worried about the disease, and this is causing some anxiety for people. Now, stigma and discrimination can occur when people associate an infectious disease such as COVID-19 with a population or nationality, even though not everyone in that population or from that region is specifically at risk for the disease. Stigma hurts everyone by creating more fear and more anger toward people instead of putting our attention and efforts to fight the disease that is causing the problem. So please do not put blame or discriminate against a particular group of people during this time, as this will only make things worse. And It is during times like this that we need to work together and help each other out, because it is through collaboration that we will become smarter and more resilient. Lastly, we can try our best to safeguard our health by getting adequate sleep, and eating a diet rich in vitamins and minerals that are essential to our proper immune system functioning. These simple things can go a long way in helping us overcome a virus. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army, on the latest scientific update for COVID-19. In brief summary, I think COVID-19 has garnered a lot of attention because whenever a virus passes from an animal to a human, there is some element of unpredictability. But the fact that we prepare for the worst is what makes us a prepared and resilient nation. Some groups will say that COVID-19 is a more severe form of the flu. However, when you look at the total numbers of COVID-19 infection and mortality, they are far below that of the typical seasonal flu right now. The mortality rate is highest in the province of Hubei in China, and the mortality rate is lower in other countries by comparison. Based on a small study of nine pregnant women, there is no evidence to suggest that COVID-19 can be passed to the unborn baby while the mother is pregnant, and there is no evidence that COVID-19 can be transmitted to the baby through the breast milk. We can all play our part in reducing the spread of COVID-19 or the seasonal flu in general by staying home if we feel unwell, practicing good hygiene, and preventing close proximity with others if we feel unwell. If you have a cough and fever, it is suggested for you to wear a mask to prevent the spread of the virus to others. If you don't have a mask, remember to practice the vampire cough and sneeze into your shirt or arm just like Dracula, and not into your hands or into the air. Try to keep your distance of at least a meter or three feet from people if you feel unwell. These small measures can make a big difference in the grand scheme of this virus. So I hope I've answered all of your questions well and hopefully quelled some anxieties that people may have felt. Sharing of knowledge and news updates on COVID-19 are meant to help prepare us for situations, not to make us feel more anxious. Because preparation is really the key for the best outcomes to help us come together and be more resilient in the face of hardship. So I hope you all have a super healthy week and I will meet you back here the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.